Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation, deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you. To start our time together, I invite you into a meditation for your body, a meditation for your voice as we all come into this room and form one community together. The good news, and there's a lot of good news about this, uh, this chant. Um, the good news for us this morning is Uh, that there are several options, depending on how awake and caffeinated you are. Um, I don't think that's the way it's written, but it is the truth. Um, And so we'll start with with the the most easygoing, the the uh, wake-uppiest part. And then uh, as we move on, if you like that part, I invite you to stay with it. And if, um, and if you'd like to move on to the, to the next part, by all means, come along with me. And then we'll do that again um, to the most perky part. <laughs> and I'll ask you to find your favorite. And at the end of that, we'll combine all of them and sing. Does that sound all right? Sound all right? That's about, that's about a third. Sound all right? That's two thirds. Does it sound all right? Yeah, there's one more in the balcony. Does that sound all right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. There you go. All right. All right. It goes like this. Uh, Would you? The first line is very simple. It goes, breathe in, breathe out, breathe. Try with him. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe. I'd like you to harmonize that if you want. Breathe in, breathe out, yeah. breathe in, breathe. A good breath in between them, right? that when I breathe in. 
We're sounding really good together. <laughs> good morning, everyone. It's so good to be together today. Thank you for being here in person and online. Shout out to the senior high youth up in the balcony. Good to have you with us here. It is so good to be together today in all of the ways we can to remember what is most true for us to remember the deeper truths of our existence that each and every one of us contains a spark of the divine and that each of us arrives whole and holy and worthy, welcome and wanted, that our glorious and unique and particular lives are each important 
and are each a part of a larger whole. As we near Indigenous Peoples Day tomorrow, we ground ourselves in the teachings of the poet Joy Harjo, member of the Muscogee Nation, who reminds us of a few things we can count on. We begin with the land, she writes. We emerge from the earth of our mother and our bodies will be returned to the earth. We are the land. We cannot own it, no matter any proclamation by paper state. We are literally the land, a planet. Our spirits inhabit this place. We are not the only ones. We are creators of this place with each other. And we sing our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our human experience in time into and through existence. Each one of us is an expression of the earth, the planet, the universe. We shape and are shaped by being a part of this shared life and we sing each other into and through existence. Here at First Universalist Church, we sing a song of love and hope that carries through the generations. We invite each other into spiritual practices that help ground us in the deeper truths of our life and into this song of love and hope. We listen deeply to where love is calling us next. We welcome, affirm, and protect the light in each and every human heart. We act with humility and courage and compassion in service to justice and we commit ourselves through our words and our thoughts and our deeds to ending oppression in all of its forms and to the flourishing of all beings. This is the life we invite you into in this community. We invite you to be connected not just through this time of worship but in all the ways we can be together. So whether you're joining us online or in person, I invite you to take a look at the fall program guide. Maybe you saw this on your way in or you're following a link there online, but I'll tell you there are so many ways to get connected, no matter how you like to do that. Whether it's in a big group with our community dinners or the breakout groups, small book discussions, faithful action opportunities, there are all kinds of ways to get more deeply connected here at church. I hope you'll pick at least one of them and dive in. And it is so good to be leading worship today with all of you and with Lauren Wyeth, Franco Holder, Dr. Glenn Thomas Rideout, Jen and John on tech back in the sound booth, and with Ada, who will be lighting our chalice for us today. A big thank you to all of our ushers and greeters. We again had a full slate of folks today. Thank you for that. Thank you to Sarah and Rochelle and Kristen, Kathleen, Marie, Dan, Kristen, and Meredith Sims for our beautiful flowers today. So let's take a moment to arrive right here, right now. Let's take a moment to welcome our bodies to whatever place and space where we are. I invite us to breathe together on purpose. Three breaths, if you'd like. Breathing in. Breathing out. Breathing in. Breathing out. And once more, breathing in. Breathing out. We are connected across time and space through our breath, through our bodies. 
and we remember that we are transient beings on this earth and that whatever place we find ourselves in was inhabited for thousands of years and is inhabited still by members of the native nations of this land. And we commit ourselves to learning the larger stories of all the people and beings of this land, to truth-telling and to repair. And now let us light our chalice together. Will you join with me in saying these words? Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. That was Ada's first time lighting the chalice. A couple of weeks ago, I met with her and a crew of new young worship leaders so that we could talk about how to do this important task. And we talked first about what lighting a chalice symbolizes. What does that flame mean? And they had some really good answers for me. And one of them that really stayed with me, one of our new chalice lighters said, when we light the chalice, that's how we're letting everyone know this is a place of sanctuary. I thought, yeah, that's right. And then after we had talked about what it means to light a chalice, we needed to talk about how to light a chalice because it's not as easy as it looks. There's a bunch of flammable liquid up here. It's a little bit scary to light a match and have it flame up, and then when you hold it over there, it's like a lot of fire. So we all practiced it several times until they were ready. They are ready. And I said, yeah, we got this. And I was like, excellent. Okay, I have some time to kill. You are fast learners, and your parents aren't going to be back here for a minute. So I said... Let's talk about this. Why do you think we have children light the chalice and youth read the chalice lighting words? And then I just sat back and paid attention because they had some awesome answers to that question. The first one made me really happy and it made me think y'all are doing a great job. They said, I think it's because people just generally seem to like kids. I was like, yeah, we do. And then somebody else said, I think it's because maybe they get bored of seeing all the same people up on the chancel and we need a little variety. I'm like, yeah, that's true too. And someone else offered, I think it's because maybe the adults need to see that kids can do important things. And also... Maybe kids need to be reminded that they're important, too. And then one chalice lighter asked this rather tender question. She was, like, listening to all these great, like, oh, this, these are all the important reasons we let this happen, or we have children and youth in this role. And she was like, but really, is it because adults just don't really want to do it? <laughs> and I was like, no. 
It's really not because of that. It's really because of all the other answers that you've come up with. You know, lighting the chalice is a little scary, but it's also really fun, and it's meaningful, and a lot of people of all ages would love to lead lighting the chalice. But at this church, people choose to have children and youth as the worship leaders that do this important job for all the reasons you said and also because we do this as a way to remember that every moment we're passing the torch. We do it as a way to remember that we're grateful that you're here and that you're willing to carry the flame forward into a future that we won't see. And we're here for such a short time, we know that, maybe you don't yet. You help us remember those who came before and carried the flame to us. So it's really important that you do this important job. I don't know if you were here online or in person last Sunday, but Reverend Ashley led us through a prayer, a prayer with our bodies. It was ancestors above us, ancestors below us. Do you remember that? Yeah. And so I was thinking about how we pray with our bodies together, sometimes toward the beginning of worship, usually when the kids are still here in the sanctuary with us. And I wondered, do we do that because, you know, a prayer with your body is maybe more accessible than a prayer with words for a child? Or do we do it because the adults and the older youth are just wanting to entertain the children while they're here in the sanctuary? And the answer to that question is no, also. We pray with our bodies together because we can all pray with our bodies. And in some way, we all need to pray with our bodies. We need to feel our lungs open as we reach up. We need to feel our bodies surrender as we bow to the earth. We need to feel our hearts open as we reach out, it doesn't matter how old we are. We pray with our bodies, with one body, because it deepens our prayer. My teacher and colleague, Dr. Glenn Thomas Rideout, reminded me as we were preparing for today, he said this, every Sunday, all of us are eligible to be learners. I love that. And he said, every Sunday, all of us are eligible to be leaders. So we pray together with our bodies. And I feel like I want to do that prayer again today that we did last week. So will you join me? Is that on? Is that on? pray with our bodies. We repeat after me, ancestors above us, ancestors below us, ancestors around us, ancestors behind us, ancestors before us, ancestors within us. Friends, I invite you into a song as we kindle again the many voices of ours into one voice.
This song, uh, like many, but particularly this song, does not get off the ground unless we believe in it. <laughs> You'll know what I'm talking about very, very soon. I invite you to rise. The hymn is This Little Light of Mine. Sing with me and let us rejoice in it. As that rhythm continues in us and that song continues, as we hear the sounds of our children and youth on their way to class, let's join in a few moments of quiet together.
And this morning we pray with the words of my dear colleague, the Reverend Jennifer Nordstrom. Dear one, I am afraid. This beautiful world made of you and by you is hurting. I can feel her open wounds trembling under human hands. She calls to me, but I feel helpless and small. Strengthen me. Help me remember I am a piece of you, a cell in your magnificent body. I am surrounded by you as we struggle for life. All I must do, tell me again, is live out my purpose in concert with your living body. May I be a T cell, a blood cell, a mitochondria. May I be a skin cell, a taste cell, an optic nerve. May I be a witness cell, a neuron, a bit of your heart. May I see or hear or speak for you, feel for you, send your messages. Let me be a part of the work of the living body, part of your flourishing. May I collaborate with the living in concert with life. Use me, move through me. Our larger body is hurting. This planet of which we are a part, this earth full of its beings, plants, people. We are hurting. We are celebrating. We are joining in connection. We remember together the pain of our larger world those struggling in the presence or aftermath of storm and fire, those raising their voices in protest around the world, those who experience war and all that moves with it. We remember the connections that are forming. We know gratitude for our coming-of-age youth and advisors who were away together on retreat this weekend. We remember our own personal losses and struggles and joys as well, trusting that when they are held in community, our burdens are shared and our joys are increased. And so I invite you to bring those joys and struggles to mind now, and if you'd like, to speak them out loud or type them into the chat. May the grip of addiction be loosened. May the weight of oppression be lightened. May joy break through, may truth be told, and may love make every suffering bearable for us all. Amen.
the stirrings of compassion. Often, prayer together is my very favorite part of our services. It reminds me of my very first favorite poem, which ends with the lines, um, and so when at times the mob is swayed to carry praise or blame too far, we may choose something like a star to stay our minds on and be stayed. And I remember that I've just gone through another seven days of seeing people get together and very rarely do they choose quiet. So often we choose to try to say the right thing even when we are saying too much, and I marvel at the miracle. People choosing to be strong together by keeping quiet together. That's one of the ways that we embody worship and community. It's one of the ways that we embody our spiritual practices. And another way that we do that is by teaching ourselves through the practice of generous giving and receiving. And so today, I offer an opportunity on your own behalf into generous giving. Today, the offering of money that we raise goes to strengthen and to build up the work of the Center for Leadership and Neighborhood Engagement. And let me just tell you something. I went on their website to try and find um, some distillation of the mission so that I could paraphrase it. And then when I found it, it was so powerful to me that I dared not touch it. <laughs> so I'm just going to read what they wrote. What if congregations and nonprofits could turn the traditional approach to leadership and neighborhood engagement on its head? What would it mean to disrupt racism and intentionally focus on organizational culture, climate, policies, and practices instead of fixing people in efforts to increase efficiency? To embrace instead the uncertainty and discomfort we feel when we leave the confines of what we know and decide to meet people and neighborhoods exactly where they are 
where would we start? What if we focused on relationships instead of achieving fast and measurable success? How would we model a shift from culture of separation to one of belonging, one that ensures that people, the people we interact with, experience belonging because they can finally see themselves in the story? The Center for Leadership and Neighborhood Engagement came into being to both ask and answer those questions. The center aims to partner with North Minneapolis faith, community, and neighborhood organizations to provide transformational experiences for leaders who share the desire to increase their intercultural competence, who arrive with curiosity open minds and the energy required to immerse themselves in experiences that will transform their thinking and deepen their understanding of what it takes to strengthen neighborhoods by accompanying one another as leaders and constituents. And they conclude, instead of asking leaders to do the work, what would happen if we set our sights on connectivity versus productivity? What would they say if we asked them, how will we be the work? Come on now. Come on. Now we have the opportunity to be a part of these sentences. We have the opportunity to bring into our bodies the gift of generous giving, and I invite you, as the ushers come forward to receive the morning's offering, to use every one of the resources available to you if giving is your gift today. There will be options posted on the screen nearest you. And if you downloaded that handy-dandy uh, mobile mission app that, uh, that we are a part of now, that's an excellent way and a simple way to give as well. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there is your teaser. I'd be happy to answer the, I'd be happy to answer any of your questions, any one of us uh, about that, that app, or just give right into the basket. This is our opportunity for giving, and I invite you and thank you in advance for your generosity. Father Richard Rohr is a white American Franciscan priest who is about the same age as my own father. And he's one of the most popular spiritual teachers and writers in the world. According to Rohr's teaching, our primary spiritual work is to fall in love with the divine presence under whatever name. I love that, to fall in love 
with the divine presence. As I adjust to my children having recently both left home and the truth that my own midpoint is in the rearview mirror, no matter how I finesse the math of it, I find myself looking for maps that might help me know where to go and what the heck to do now. And so I was glad one recent morning when I opened my email and found a reflection by Richard Rohr about the wisdom that might be available to us in our later years. The wisdom that might be available if I am willing to receive it. Now, Rohr calls those who live with the wisdom that can only develop over time grandparents. Two words, grandparents. People of all genders, and not specifically in relationship with grandchildren who are related by blood or family ties. And not all elders, by his definition, not all elders are grandparents. It's not just time that bestows this title. We become grandparents by virtue of how we move through our days, how we understand the meaning of our lives, how we hold space for others, especially for people who are younger than us. Roar writes about grandparents. He says, when we can let go of our own need for everything to be as we want it and our own need to succeed, we can then encourage the independent journey and the success of others. The grandparent is able to relinquish center stage and to stand on the sidelines and thus be in solidarity with those who need their support. Children can feel secure in the presence of their grandparents because while their parents are still rushing to find their way through life's journey, grandpa and grandma have hopefully become more spacious. They can contain problems, inconsistencies, inconveniences, and contradictions after a lifetime of practicing and learning a lifetime. Grandparents, he says, grandparents can trust life because they have seen more of it than younger people have, and they can trust death because they are closer to it. Something has told them along the way that who they are now is never the final stage, and this one isn't either. The soul of the grandparent is large enough to embrace the death of the ego and to affirm the life of God in itself and others, despite all imperfections. Rora's definition of a grandparent sounds to me a lot like somebody who's a really good universalist, right? Someone who can, who is large enough to affirm the life of God in itself and others, despite all imperfections. Now, grandparents, I think, are often misunderstood. 
It must be hard to be older than everyone else and be like, you're not getting me, right? Their wisdom cannot be fully appreciated by those who don't have those years of experience. I think of my mom's parents, my actual grandparents, and I think they were grandparents. I was an 80s latchkey kid from California, but for a couple weeks each summer, I'd visit my grandma and grandpa in Michigan. And it always seemed to me like they had so much time on their hands. All we ever did was go for walks, read the funny papers, pick corn and berries from their garden. They'd clip the day's coupons, and then we'd go up to the Myers. That's what we would do for the afternoon, go up to the Myers. And then we'd come home, and we'd make banana splits in these blue plastic boats that they had saved from the Dairy Queen. There was a lot of that silence that Glenn Thomas spoke of. I didn't understand then that my grandma and grandpa had arranged their time so that they could create all that room, all that room for me, all that room for us to share together over those two glorious weeks. We didn't do a lot, but I learned so much. On those slow summer days, I learned that beneath the veil of the rush and the chaos that was the other 50 weeks of my year, there was also this, this stillness, this safe place where my body was tended, this blue brush that my mother had once used as a girl, those sweet raspberries warmed by morning sun, those worn playing cards, that belonging. Now as a child then, I imagined that my grandparents were somewhat naive, maybe a little oblivious, perhaps even a little bit simple, I thought. What did they know about gridlocked traffic? What did they know about acid rain? What did they know about, you know, how important it was to wear preppy clothes and how hard college entrance exams were? What did they know about the threat of nuclear annihilation? Now I realize that they knew about all of it. It must have been obvious to them how I carried the weight of what I knew with so much awkwardness. But not only did they know about it, they carried it with grace. They knew how to hold it. They knew there was a way to balance everything that they knew. As Rohr wrote of grandparents, they can contain problems, inconsistencies, inconveniences and contradictions after a lifetime of practicing and learning. They can hold all that. I know you have your own story of a good grandparent. I hope you do. At least one, someone chosen 
or in your own family who held space for you like they held space for me. Grandparents know what you can count on. And one of those reliable things is that bodies change and age. Our bodies are showing this every day. They're showing us, they're reminding us, time is passing. You know, we see it more obviously perhaps in children, but over those couple of years that we were apart because of the pandemic, we all changed a lot. I know when we came back together, when I saw people I hadn't seen in a while, I was surprised by how much we had all aged. I thought it was more static once we got to be adults. It's not. It's not static, is it? We're aging all the time. Our bodies remind us what grandparents know. The grandparents who have let life teach them the good ones, the wise ones. They know you can count on just about everything to change. And still, they also know that beneath it all, the eternal shines through. There are those summer berries. There are fall leaves. Generations being born and passing away. People yearning to do their part to leave the world a little better. There's always that. And this is what the good grandparents of First Universalist Church, both those who are living and those who are now gone, that's what they've done and are doing for us, for our children. They're reminding us of this truth. They have kept this church alive and vibrant through so many generations. You know, we have more kids in this congregation than any other UU church in the country. More kids here than anywhere else. And the reason that that is true is because we are rich in grandparents. That is why that can be true. Grandparents stewarded and loved and left this place for a new generation and another and another. They didn't cling too tightly to controlling exactly how it would be when the next generation of leaders took their places on the committees or the next group of kids took their places in the pews. They didn't worry when a teal hymnal sub supplemented that gray one, right? Or when a screen supplanted them both. Rohr says, something had told them along the way that who they are now is never the final stage, and this one isn't either. Change does not shake the grandparents. They are not afraid. <laughs> they, and we can follow this example, they are steadfast in their faith in a future that they know they will not know. We too can be steadfast in that faith, doing our part today to hold space for those who will carry the flame forward so that they might one day embrace the wisdom of age. We are so lucky to be grandparented so well here. Let us honor those grandparents. Let us become them. So may it be. Amen.
child that's born of a morning star rises and sings to the universe who we are. We are our grandmother's prayers and we are our grandfather's dreamings. We are the breath of our ancestors. We are the spirit of God, we are mothers of courage and fathers of time. We are daughters of dust and the sons of great visions. We're seekers of truth and keepers of faith. We are lovers of life and the wisdom of ages. For each child that's born, a morning star rises and sings to the universe. Who we are, for each child that's born, a morning star rises and sings to the universe. Who we are. I am so grateful for the reminder that it's not just our individual bodies that we can count on, but our collective body that we can count on. It's never just about us, as important and particular and unique as we are. It is also always about us, the larger us. Individually, maybe our stories have been lost. Maybe we don't know those grandparents that Lauren spoke of. Maybe we can't. Maybe because our stories have been intentionally erased, language wiped out, cultures wiped out, songs and stories intentionally removed. Maybe there are breaks in our family tree by choice and not at all. Maybe we cannot know our individual ancestors, those stories. Maybe that is lost to us. Maybe we are black or brown or indigenous, trans or queer, and the stories are gone. Maybe we are white, like I am, and the particularities of my ancestors are lost in many ways through the trials of immigration, through intentional forgetting, through the whitewashing of history. Many of us cannot call on our ancestors by name. And I am so grateful we can call on the ancestors of the whole community and that we can call on our ancestors even when we do not know them. Just as we will never know the name probably of the first member of First Universalist who welcomed a child into this community, there are strengths and gifts, stories and histories we cannot and will not know that live on in us and in our community still. There are these gifts we can name, we can nurture, we can welcome in to our individual and collective body. 
We are shaped by history. We are shaping history. We are shaping the present and the future in the ways that we name and nurture the gifts we have been given. Now, we know when we talk about our ancestors, it is a complicated story for all of us. Our ancestors are a complicated bunch, some of us more than others. And we know as we call them forward, it's best to be careful not to call them all, perhaps. (laughs) Maybe we call some. (laughs) Maybe we call particular gifts and strengths forward. I know for myself, I often call on the particular strengths and gifts of individual ancestors in my life, and I call on the universalists that built this place. I call on folks who have given their all to care for us and create the beloved community we wish to be a part of. I give thanks that my body is part of a larger body, and so is yours that through this earth, we are a community that spans the generations from youngest to oldest, from those who have come before us and those who will come after, joining us in this journey of life. We know that our bodies are but a transient incarnation of a larger life, and together we can come to trust that life, just as the grandparents Lauren spoke of have learned to do. We can trust in life and death, that time will pass and things will change, and beneath it all, the eternal shines through. We can count on that, that what we need is here, right here in these strong bodies, individual and collective, that stretch far beyond the confines of our skin. And so we close today with the poetry of Wendell Berry, his poem, What We Need Is Here. Horseback on Sunday morning, harvest over, we taste persimmon and wild grape, sharp sweet of summer's end. In time's maze over fall fields, we name names that rest on graves. We open a persimmon seed to find the tree that stands in promise, pale in the seed's marrow. Geese appear high over us, pass, and the sky closes. Abandon, as in love or sleep, holds them to their way, clear in the ancient faith. What we need is here. And we pray, not for new earth or heaven, but to be quiet in heart and in eye clear. What we need is here. to help me teach a chant to each other to keep with us as a gift, a reminder of the truth for the week ahead.
Friends, I invite you to, to breathe with each other once more, twice more, three times more, on your own time and in one body as we prepare to leave this place and keep the community in our hearts. And with the gift of breath that is ours, let us sing once more to promise one another in faith that our community goes with each one of us as we go.
thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.